Welcome to the Business Design Podcast, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs design and build businesses that succeed on their own, even if you take a six-month vacation. We're your hosts, Ian, John, and Scott, and we're here to share the successes and pitfalls of many entrepreneurs like you and equip you to make daily progress in your business. Can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Matthew Paulson. I am the founder of a business called MarketBeat.com. It is a financial media company. We send out a daily investment newsletter to about 445,000 people. I have a few other businesses. GoGo Photo Contest helps animal shelters raise money. And then US Golf TV is a publishing company in the golf industry. And finally, Falls Angel Fund is a regional angel fund to invest in high growth companies in South Dakota and surrounding states. Wife, two kids. I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I think that's it. Awesome. Can you take us a little bit back to the beginning and share us a little bit about your story about kind of how you got to where you are, kind of like your childhood and a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my first internet business happened when I was in fourth grade. This would have been like 1995, um, back before nobody knew, anybody knew about the internet really. (laughs) But I had a little website about SimCity 2000 and all the other Sim games I played at cheat codes and reviews and screenshots and little apps that what, would... What year was that? It was probably 95, 96, 97, somewhere in there. Oh my gosh. Who taught you how to write or like build a, a website at, when you're in fourth grade? Nobody. Kids can learn anything if they put their effort into it. It's easy to learn stuff as a kid. Fair it's enough. hard to learn stuff as an adult. So Wow. I really got started with HTML like on message boards. Like you could you know, put in HTML tags. So I'd figure out, oh, that's how you bold text. That's how you italic text. And that's how you do an image. And... You know, fourth grade Matt picked that up. So I made my SimCity website, hosted it on GeoCities, and I put little ads for an ad network that was then called Safe Audit. And I had ads for like free hosting from somewhere else. I'd get like a buck fifty if anybody ever clicked on it. And I think I was making maybe twenty five bucks a month as like a middle school student, or as a grade school student, middle school student, getting checks in the mail. And my parents were like, "How the heck are you getting these checks in the mail?" And I kind of told them, and it's like, "Oh, that's interesting." So. For my middle school years, I was making between twenty-five and hundred dollars a month with a little website, and nice. uh, that that was that was the origin story of the original, you know, Matt Paulson business. Did you have anything else like in high school or college that you kind of dabbled in because yeah. of that experience? Yeah. So most of my high school years, I spent on the debate team, which is an all-time-consuming kind of thing. So I didn't have time for a business. I worked at Burger King in high school. I didn't really enjoy it. Then I worked at a gas station my senior year and had a lot of free time to think about internet business, didn't really do anything with it. I really got to start in college again uh, when I was a sophomore. This town I went to school with 7,000 people, not a lot of job opportunities. So I started doing freelance writing on a site called Associated Content and they would pay like five to $10 for a 400 word article. So I would just pound them out, you know, do 10 of them a day, something like that. And I made a nice income of, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a month doing that as a college student. Eventually that morphed into being oh, I could just do this on my own blog and um, see where that went. And like everybody else in 2007 or so, I had a personal finance blog telling people how I'm going to get out of debt. And, and, you know, there's a million of those websites back then. And I kind of figured it out. It's like, well, people don't really care about my content, but there are plenty of people that are going to buy links for me and people that are going to click on AdSense ads. So I made like four others just like it. So I had a you know, five personal finance websites that I'd sell links on to SEO agencies and get a little bit of AdSense revenue. And hmm. uh, 2010, I had grown that to, I think we did over, probably, I think we did 139,000 in 2010 in revenue from those five little websites, which is going great until February of 2011 
which is when the, the Panda update happened and everybody that had a personal finance blog in the world just got creamed. So my traffic went half overnight. Um, you know, that was really when they were starting to punish, you know, link buying too. So people stopped renewing because site-wide links were not a good thing to do anymore. So that revenue took a real dive, but... So just to interrupt real quick, you mm. you you mentioned we was that just habit or is there a partner or somebody you're working with? Um, no, I've I've had team members since about 2008. Um, I in my first websites I had people that write uh, for me. Now I have actual employees in my business, so mm-hmm. not a huge team, but uh, we're at four employees, including myself, and it's another five contractors. So the the whole market be team is currently nine people. Wow. So we're we're growing up being kind of a real company now with a 401k plan and PTO and all those other scary words that most solo entrepreneurs don't ever have to think about. Right. Are they all based in, in your hometown where you work out of or where are they sure. located? Um, so two of my employees are in Sioux Falls and then one of them is in Florida. And then my contractors are Guatemala, India, New York, Chicago, and Sioux Falls. So it's just... People I work with are people, you know, people that are employees are people I've, you know, mostly have met in person. Don, my guy in Florida, I've met him once actually, but you know, I've been working on stuff for 10 years and wow. he's been doing so much work for me. I was like, ah, yeah, I better start calling you an employee. Yeah. So we're in the process of getting him to be an employee. When Panda happened in 2008, when you were having those sites, did you work a job while you were doing that? Or did you, was that like a full income kind of source of income? Yeah. So I graduated from college in 2008. I had a full-time job that summer. I did a master's degree the following year. And then after that, I took a job with a little web design agency called Factor 360. I did .NET web development for them. Mm -hmm. And I did that until November of 12 and Frankly, I, I probably quit way later than I should have. If I were doing it over again, I would have probably never took the job and just done my own thing. But, you know, it's uh, easy to look back and see how it worked out and think, oh, I could have done that sooner. But, you know, then you think, I got this really risky internet business, you know, it could disappear overnight. I should probably keep my job. But eventually I had enough revenue for an up once in a row where I thought, well, I suppose if it doesn't work out, I can just go get another job and finally made that jump. Do you remember that kind of period where you were feeling like I couldn't trust this and then and then finally seeing, okay, what made you get the confidence about saying, oh, I can just go get another job and whatnot? What was that thought? Yeah, that so I was actually thinking about quitting maybe a year and a half before I actually did. Mm-hmm. And I think I had gotten it up to about 25 grand a month in revenue. But something happened with one of my sites. I think I got penalized actually or something okay. like that. But I went from 25 to 14 the next month. So it's like, oh, well, I mean, this isn't so stable. Sure. But then I kind of figured out what I did wrong. I fixed it. I kind of spread the money around a few different sites. So like, well, if one of these get penalized, I've got the other. So I was less worried about it then. Yeah. Two years ago when we first met at MicroConf, yep. I think uh, my recollection, you said you had one employee, full-time employee back then. Yep. And some maybe two or three contractors is what I remember. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. What's changed so far that you've decided to hire more people or... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you've grown and, and you've, sure. you've rebranded and you've done other things, but like, what's what's the growth behind the growth, I guess? Yeah, so 2015 when we met, mm-hmm. I think we did about a million and a half in revenue. And then last year we did 2.7. So with growth, you know, there's, there's more work to do. Um, mm. need more people. I think we operate 23 different websites right now. My guy Don manages our four writers and I've got a full-time web developer now that works on stuff. 
my customer service person is the person I had then, still have her. Nobody's quit on me yet, thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just the company's gotten bigger and there's more stuff to do. And it's kind of stuff that you can't really automate. I love to automate stuff, but you can't really automate customer service. You can't automate programming. You know, you can, you know, in some ways, but you need somebody to say, hey, I want that. Go do that for me. Right, right, right. It's like you, you, you need a person. So as much as I, I love to automate literally everything, there are just some things that's like, well, okay, I need, I need to hire somebody. Thank you. Um, I, I want to talk about this master's program that you did. Mm -hmm. If I'm correct, you're currently on the board of a seminary. That's true. Right. And you, did you go to a seminary? Is that what it was? I actually have two master's degrees. So I have an information systems degree, MSIS. I got on my college, same place I went to undergrad. And I was able to knock that out in like 12 months because it was really easy and designed for international students. And okay. I got a 4.0 with it. It's like, well, I got the degree. It's kind of a waste of time. And then when I moved to Sioux Falls, I had a friend named Nate. He was a vice president at the seminary and he you know, encouraged me to check it out. I took a class. I, I really enjoyed it, like learning church history and just the leadership stuff that they taught. I uh, found it very valuable and it really influences how, as a businessman who happens to be a Christian, how I manage my, my company today and how I treat my employees. And that was a really good experience. So I ended up, I think I did about three years there. I ended up with a, like a Master of Arts in Christian Leadership. And then I've decided that I don't need any more schooling since then. Yeah, thank you. I, I guess I'd like to dive into the topic of leadership as mm -hmm. a founder mm -hmm. and especially how that training as well as your worldview as a Christian and, mm -hmm. and the, the leadership, the Christian leadership that you've been instilled with. Yep. What are some unique things that that instills into your leadership style sure. or how you actually organize your company? Yeah, I think the way that I treat my employees is is fundamentally very different than mm. most companies because it's really about caring for them as a person first and what's best for them. And, you know, that plays out and the benefits that they get, mm -hmm. what they get paid, mm -hmm. you know, how I treat them. It's like, oh, your mom's sick in Colorado for a week. Okay, go take care of her and work when you can. Mm -hmm. Instead of, no, this is your job. You need to be here. Mm -hmm. So there, there's more flexibility and just understanding of what the human condition is and like, uh, this is your job, but it's like not your only part of life and you got other stuff to do than work for me. And I, I get that. And, you know, like we do birthday presents for everybody, birthday presents for people's kids. And we just try to be really generous with our employees and, and treat them well. I feel like that is a good witness to, to me as, as a Christian and just treating people in a way that honors and just respects them as people. Is there a leadership principle that kind of stands out as you, as uh, you'd say, you would not be able to maybe practice this if you were in a more of a, you know, kind of a East Coast, West Coast corporate environment versus something mm -hmm. that you're able to do now, kind of beyond being treating your employees well and personally? Yeah, this wouldn't work in a corporate, like in a normal corporate structure, but, you know, when you, you get to make your own company, you can design it in your image. So that's why we don't have a company office. I have an office, but my employees don't. Like, I don't want to be in an office with them all day making sure they're working. I want to hire people that can work hard by themselves and don't need me to check on them every five minutes. Hmm. So the company is, is really designed around that DNA. Like myself, I have a life outside the company, and that is more important to me than my life inside the company. Right. And I think that is, should also be true for the other people that are in my company. So we are all very self-motivated people. We work very hard when we're working, and then... We just kind of do our own thing on our own time. So we, we don't do company parties. We don't have company retreats or anything like that because it's 
my, my assumption is that you've got your own friends, your own family, and you'd rather be hanging out with them than me. And I'm not going to force you to go to some company thing just because it's part of your job. Right. Well, that's really interesting, mm -hmm. actually. I've been thinking about that quite a bit as myself, and I have a very similar philosophy. Can I dive a little bit more into, I read also on LinkedIn that you published an example of your SOP or standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. What are some practices like that? And can you, first of all, describe what that is to our mm -hmm. audience and then why that's important? And then a follow-up question to that would be, are there any other practices or disciplines that you like to introduce to your company that makes it more productive or more creative sure. in what it does? So, as I mentioned, you know, I, I really want hardworking, self-productive people that can do work right on the first time. So I guess first, you know, we, we're a huge believer in automation. So I think if there's anything that can feasibly be automated that we have to do more than once a month, we should automate it. Um, so I'm a software developer. My employee, Rebecca, she's a software developer. So anything involving data or anything that could be automated is automated. So hmm. really the only tasks that are left are stuff that people have to do. And anything that is something we do more than, say, once every couple months that can't be automated, we create a standard operating procedure for just so that the employees know exactly how I want it done, what steps to follow. Um, like, say, if we, we're going to set up a new website and we're going to publish financial news on it, it's like, here are the 38 steps I want you to do. I want you to install these plugins, this theme. I want you to do these settings. I need to set up this site map and do all these things. Wow. And that way, I can just say, hey, we need this new site set up to Rebecca. And then she goes and does it. And I know it's going to be right. I don't even have to check it over anymore because she knows exactly what to do. And she knows that it's important that it gets done right the first time. So she will check over her own work and mm -hmm. make sure there aren't any mistakes. You know, and the reason we do that stuff is because I don't want to spend a bunch of time managing my employees. Right. So with the SOPs in place, they know what to do. They know how to do it exactly right the first time with screenshots, all that stuff. And then I just don't have to do as much management because that written documentation is in place. So um, in terms of additional practices like SOPs, mm -hmm. like these great practices that ensure quality mm -hmm. as well as consistency and whatnot, are there any other practices that you guys introduce or you've introduced in the company to ensure or to encourage that? Hmm, good question. I think automation is probably the big thing because if right. a computer is doing it, the computer is always going to do it the same way. Mm -hmm. And it's just not very, not inconsistent. So like a lot of our customer service responses, they are all boilerplate text and you know just shows in their information. So instead of my employee saying, Hi, name, I've reset your password, your username is this, here's your new password. You know, there's just one button that says, click here to reset this person's password and send them an email. So it's like you know that they're always gonna get the right email with the right password and it's gonna be a decent password and they'll be able to log in and there won't be right. any mistakes. Right. In terms of your businesses, let's kind of circle back a little bit about mm -hmm your personal practices, how you evaluate like ideas, also things that you do on a daily basis that you would maybe make yourself a little bit more productive or consistent. So let's first start there. But can we first start about like, I had a question in mind I always wanted to ask you. You have so many, first of all, sites, right? You have 25 plus sites. How do you know or how do you determine or decide like what kind of site to start and how do, what's that process like? Sure. So... I probably get, you know, one to three opportunities per week for people that want me to invest in their businesses, be partners with them, stuff like that. And I realize I only have a limited amount of time to spend on new stuff. You know, I've got a four-year-old boy and an 11-month-old daughter, a wife, and they all want attention. So if I want to do something new, it's probably going to happen at the expense of them. So anything that I do has to be a really, really good opportunity and something that, like, 
I can't possibly say no to. Hmm. So when I look at an opportunity, it's one, do I want to do it? Am I excited about the opportunity? Am I excited about the space? Do I think it could be something cool? Two, is there a unique skill set that I have that is going to really add value to this business or this website that the other people working on the website don't have? So like with GoGo Photo Contest, like what I brought to the table was email marketing and then help with software development. Like our only marketing strategy is to cold email animal shelters and say, hey, when every other animal shelter like you has run this thing, they've raised five to 10 grand. How about you do it too? And like, they didn't know how to do that. So I, I found a database for animal shelters. You know, we send them an email once a month and, you know, we get three to 400 animal shelters that run contests a year because I, I brought that marketing strategy to the table. They run the business. I don't have to put a whole lot of time into it, but I brought that to the table. I brought some decent accounting practices to the table. I helped write the initial code base, but now they run it. And my partners are Jason and Stevie in that business. They do a great job with it. I don't have to think about it a lot. So I look for opportunities like that where I can really bring something to the table initially, and then I don't have to do a whole lot later on because I'm going to be busy with something else invariably. So I'd say those are probably the top criteria. Well, and do I like the people, obviously. So right. am I excited about it? Can I add something? And do I like the people? And even then, I can maybe only say yes once a year. What would you consider your superpower? Like if you were to say, well, I can bring to the mm -hmm. table email marketing and you sure. mentioned accounting practices and whatnot, but what would you say are your, are your strengths and your superpower? Yeah. Um, I'd say my superpower is automating stuff through software. Like my main business, MarketBeat, we publish one to 2,000 financial news stories a day and they're all written by computers. You say one to 2,000? That is correct. And the computer writes the articles? Yep. How does that work? Uh, so we take structured financial data and turn it into human-readable content. Uh -huh. So if you think of how the game Mad Libs works, it's kind of like that. It's more complicated, but it's like this company announced their quarterly earnings. It was this amount per share. They had this much revenue compared to the analyst consensus estimate of this much. Here's how it compared to last year. Right. Then we pull out all these different data points, and we can make a very readable quite decent 700, 800 word article with a nice company logo and some charts and some graphs in right. there. And if you like look at my domains on Reddit, it's like people are interacting with these like they're real articles written by people and like <laughs> commenting about them like they're real articles written by people. So they're, they're pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of them. So automation, that's what you're saying is your superpower. Yep. What contributed to you becoming good at that? Like, what do you think all work ingredients or influences that helped you develop that skill? Yeah. Uh, one, you know, I know how to write software. And two, I'm kind of lazy. So, like, I'm lazy in the sense that I don't want to do work that I don't have to do. If there's a, a task that was like uploading this piece of data to this website, yes, I could do it by hand every day, or I could write a script to do it. So, I'm always going to write that script or. Anything that's a process that's repetitive, like I don't want to do it over and over again. I don't mm -hmm. want to like commit myself to doing the same thing every week or every day. And it's just, you know, if there's any crazy way that I can make code do something, I'd much rather have the code do it than me because one, I'll probably forget to do it. And two, I just don't want to. Right. Great qualities for good programmers. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask uh, a Tim Ferriss question that he does. Okay. And uh, the question is, who is the one person that comes to mind when you hear the word success? And I'm going to follow up with why. So who is there a person, when you think of success, who's the one person that comes to mind? Good question. I guess, you know, it's really a, a question of, you know, how do you define success? And it would be easy to say, like, Mark Cuban or somebody like that. But mm -hmm. 
I don't know Mark Cuban. I can't. Sure, he has a lot of money, but does that make him a successful person? If you're going only by finances, sure. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's how I would judge whether or not somebody's successful in life. I think it's do they have their stuff together for one? And then two, are they like a well-rounded individual? Do they have healthy relationships? Mm-hmm. Are they a good person? Do they care about other people? Are they mm-hmm. generous? Mm-hmm. By that measure, like... I have no idea if any of the people that we you'd commonly hear as answers like Gary Vee or Mark Cuban or anybody like that would, I don't know those people. I don't, I don't know what they do, right. but like I can tell you like my friend Nate who is works at seminary, great guy. I can definitely say he's successful. Got yeah. a wife, yeah. treats her well, has a kid. He treats his kid well, does his job well, generous guy. You know, that that is really more how I see success than whether or not you've got a million people following you on Instagram. Who cares? You know, if you're doing coke every night and your your life's a mess, it's like, that's not successful to me. Right, right. Would you dive in a little bit more kind of like maybe other other aspects that you consider that defines that person as well-rounded or has their stuff together? What would, are some other things that come to mind as things that are important for sure. a successful person, attributes of a successful person? Yeah, I think... When we think of traditionally successful people and you look into their lives, they tend to be very unbalanced. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to work really hard for a long period of time to be successful. And oftentimes that comes at the expense of like personal relationships and family and friendships and how you take care of yourself. So for me, you know, being successful, it's a lot of things, but it's, you know, do my parents hear from me every week? Does my wife feel like that I love her? Do I spend enough time with her? Right. Am I getting off the computer at 5 p.m. and actually like sitting down to play with my children? Am mm-hmm. I playing Legos with Micah every night? Mm-hmm. Am I taking him to church on Sunday? You know, or do I have quality conversations with you know people that are in my family? Do I have friends? Do I take care of them? Am I a generous person? Um, so like when I was flying to Vegas today, there was a lady sitting next to me on the plane and she told me that she comes to Vegas and like hangs out with guys and does massages. I'm pretty sure I sat next to a prostitute on the plane <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, well, I guess that's your life. I'm not, it's not my job to, to tell you otherwise, but you know, if you're flying to Vegas multiple times per year to do that kind of work, it's like, uh, you got to kind of wonder like what other problems they would have in their life in terms of their relationships. And right. it just, see, I don't know how you have a, have a successful life doing that kind of thing. You've written a lot of books. How many books have you written so far? So there are eight books with my name on them. I've written six of them. Two were ghostwritten by some longtime friends of mine. Uh, Those books were okay, but I just don't feel like they were the quality of my other books. So I probably won't ghostwrite another one, but I've got eight out there with my name on it. Ultimately, the goal was, I have a friend named Steve Scott. He has 60 books on Amazon. He makes 30 grand a month in book royalties. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And you know, make some nice passive income that way. That's kind of separate from market beat. And I got it up to about eight grand a month by publishing five books last year. And it was okay. Mo- I mean, it's decent money for anybody, but when you've got market beat throwing off a couple million dollars a year in revenue, it's just not at the same scale. And for the amount of work it took to put all those books out, it just wasn't generating enough revenue. And it kind of became a distraction for market beat. So I've decided to to put the brakes on it. I think I have one last book project. It's on Amazon now, but it's officially coming out like next month. And then I'm going to be done probably for the rest of the year. And then maybe next year I'll write like another investing book that I can use as like a lead magnet or mm-hmm. just stick it on Amazon anyway, because my mm-hmm. market beat audience will like it. But I, I'm definitely not 
writing five books again this year and do not want to do that. But I, I may do one more next year. Really the goal for this year is just do the podcast, start up q and I'm doing like a video show where I answer people's questions. I'm really trying to make it a little bit different than most podcasts just because it's, one, it's video, it's not audio. And two, it's really trying to be a multi-channel thing. So it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, it's on Stitcher. You can get it over RSS, get it on iTunes, and just really get it anywhere you want to consume it. And that's one little way I'm differentiating. Two, there's no guests. I don't do guests because there are enough guest podcasts like yours, and I don't need to do another one, which is kind of funny because now I'm getting like cold emails saying, hey, this person would be great for your podcast. And it's like, great. Clearly, you've never listened to it because there's never, ever any guest on it, and there's never going to be a guest on it because I don't want to organize getting people on my show. That's just too much damn work. Yeah, yeah. So I don't do that. Can you tell me a little bit about the benefits that you've gotten by writing books and how that's raised your profile as well as your personal brand? Was there any kind of intention or intentionality or something that you were thinking about as you were working on those and producing those and leading into your podcast now and why you're doing it? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's 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 a long-term ballgame of personal branding. Really, I do the personal branding stuff one, because it helps other people. I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't valuable content that other people could consume and, and, mm-hmm. and find value in. Because, I mean, I, I get a million people that want to talk to me on Skype, meet me for coffee, whatever, and I just don't have time to do that. But it's like, oh, here's a book that has everything I would tell you when we're having coffee. Go read this. Here's a copy. So there's that. And two, it's, you know, I, I think there's just an economic value in knowing a lot of people and like, you know, Maybe we don't have any business we can do together. Maybe you know somebody that I could get a real business benefit out of. So it's just, it's maybe it's good to know John for that reason. And maybe it's not for the current business. Maybe it's not for the next business. Maybe it's for the one after that. It's like, I, I know that market beat isn't going to be the only business I ever start. And I don't know what the next one is going to be, but I feel like by having a pretty wide network, it's like I've got enough connections where it's like, oh, I need somebody who's really good at this one really esoteric thing. I can ask around and chances are somebody that I know is, is going to know somebody that knows how to do that. That's great. I lied again. And I'm going to ask you another question. This one has to do with how are you able to be so prolific and consistent with your work? What is your secret around that? Like how do I produce so much content or what? Producing content, not for market because you're automating a lot of those, but in terms yeah. of your personal productivity to how prolific you've been with number of businesses you've started, mm-hmm number of people you've been able to help, mm-hmm. the books that you've written, the podcasts you continue to produce. Sure. So with so little time, which I'm sure that you're actually very guarded with that. Yeah. You seem to be producing multiple X's than most people would be able to do in that time. Yeah. I got really good at writing and the way that I did that was in college. I wrote for my campus newspaper and then it was really doing the freelance writing and blogging. I was doing probably four articles a day for like three years on my website called American Consumer News back then. And I just got really good at pounding stuff out. And that allowed me to like write a book in 21 days and just produce content at a speed that most people can't. And I think it's just, you know, part of it's just how I'm wired. I've been told I'm really quick at doing work and I I don't know how to replicate that, but it just must be a unique gift that I have. Can I tell a microconf story? Yes, please. So... Two years ago when we were both at MicroConf, I wasn't here last year because my wife had a baby like the same week, but two years ago we were here. This was one of the first conferences I went to and I was telling all everybody about my business and it was called Analyst Ratings Network then. And so many people botched it up that I changed the name of the business. <laughs> 
So like I would say, oh, the business name is Analyst Ratings Network. This is what we do. And it's like, oh, you're you're thinking Analyst Network or Ratings Network or Analyst like what what is it again? And it's just it's like, oh, this is a really terrible name for my business. So I changed the name and I changed it entirely because of everybody messed it up at microconf. So I blame microconf and you, John, for <laughs> changing the name of my business two years ago, which was great because now I have a fantastic name for my business and I got the domain and I got the trademark and, you know, market beat is just a really great name. And I can, can thank you and Christian and, and a whole bunch of other people for, for messing it up, for getting that name. There you go. So well, that's my microconf story. That is a wonderful microconf story. Thank you so much for joining us today. And where can people find out about you and your podcast and your website and all these other things? Sure. So I still have a personal website, which apparently is like now an old fashioned thing to do. But if you go to mattpaulson.com, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-S-O-N.com, you can get the latest podcast episodes there. I've got a personal email list with some stuff I send out on there. You can check that out. Twitter is at Matthew DP, D is in dog, P is in pony. Facebook is facebook.com slash Matthew Paulson. I have a MySpace page. You can check me out there. And then, of course, my ICQ number is 437-0199. I don't think anybody's used ICQ in 15 years, but I think it's funny to share that. That is terrific. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, John. Yep. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For a complete transcript of this episode or to find previous episodes, visit our website at businessdesignpodcast.com. Have a question or comment? Email us at questions at businessdesignpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Business Design Podcast. And follow us on Twitter for updates between episodes.